So many things have ruined my childhood So I go online to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus Fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh -huh, uh -huh. Predators, uh -huh, uh -huh. Marvel, uh -huh, uh -huh. DC, uh -huh, uh -huh. maybe it doesn't all quite stay. Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Podcast Ruined My Childhood. I'm Phil Durasmo, and with me is Eric Lewinsky. Eric? Should I call you Weapon X, Logan? Call me Wolverine, snickety snack! You'll be safe here from Magneto. What's a Magneto? A very powerful mutant who believes that a war is brewing between mutants and the rest of humanity. I've been following his activities for some time. The man who attacked you is an associate of his called Sabretooth. Sabretooth? Storm. What do they call you? Wheels? <laughs> this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's it, folks. This week we are going to be taking a look at the original X-Men trilogy. Now... The X-Men movies, when they when the first X-Men movie came out, I remember like it it was euphoric knowing that they were making an X-Men movie because I grew up reading the comics and was just my body was ready to see what I loved in the comics brought to the screen. I I I know that uh, I've spoken in the past on this podcast about my comic addiction I had as a kid and X-Men was up there in the top three, or four, top four for me. It was like a tie between Superman comics, Batman comics, Spider-Man comics, and X-Men comics. And those were all that I got. So when I knew, when I heard an X-Men movie was coming out, I was just so insanely over the moon. Uh, Eric, how did you feel What did, when you heard X-Men or thought of X-Men? Did you pay attention to the comics back in the day? Or was like X-Men just like, oh, hey, a superhero movie. I'm really excited exactly. for that. Exactly. That's that's where I was then. Because uh, it's escaping me the year that they came out. But it was obviously, it was it was relatively new in the, it was kind of the infancy of, uh, of superhero movies. Obviously, we were beyond the, uh, the, the, the Michael Keaton Batman era. But we had not reached yet the Iron Man uh, era, the 2008. Right, yes. So X-Men was in 2000, the first X-Men movie. Okay. So, so yeah. So I was like, wow, okay, this, this looks pretty darn cool. And as far as my childhood is concerned, I was a Batman comic guy. So I, I really only knew like of Wolverine and the other X-Men on the peripheral. Um, I'd, I'd seen the cartoon here and there. So I was very familiar with with Rogue and Jean Grey and Cyclops. And of course, there was that incredible X-Men video game, you know? So so I was mm -hmm. very familiar with that game. But as far as like having a real heartfelt connection to those characters, I didn't really have it. But 
just knowing that they were out there and then seeing that trailer, I was like, wow, well, this looks pretty darn cool. It, it really, to me, had the same kind of gravity that that original Batman had. That, that first Michael Keaton mm-hmm. Batman, it had kind of a darker, uh, almost realistic tone, I guess, if, if you want to say it that way. And I say that meaning a lot of the new Marvel movies have a less than realistic tone when we're going into space mm-hmm. and everything's a lot more CGI'd. I, I really felt like this right. X-Men movie had a real grounded approach. I, I can see that. I definitely can see that, especially since they make you kind of follow Logan as the everyman, but he has powers Ex- to the, exactly. at the start of the movie. Exactly, and I and I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't really know that much about Logan's uh, origins. I didn't really re- I I really didn't realize that his his claw his yeah. claws and everything were bone to start, and that he yeah it's uh, it's interesting you say that you didn't really know much about logan because the, the makers of this film didn't really either it, it <laughs> well <seems. laughs> and and as yes and as my superhero knowledge increased due to both uh the internet uh getting a lot better and these movies getting a lot more savvy with uh the source material and i started reading more and seeing more and then i started going yeah boy and, and we won't get all into the the newer uh, Wolverine movies, but boy, they're they're kind of doing a patchwork job on his origin right now, you know. And they're trying to make it all streamlined and make <laughs> sense, but uh, yeah, it, it it doesn't all line up. Yeah, no, it 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 was uh it was definitely an interesting take. I I know that I loved X Men when it came out in two thousand because. The content of comic book movies we were getting was so slim on yeah, the big screen. Yeah. You know, um, we we didn't have a whole lot to look forward to when it came to comic book movies. So the fact that X Men was coming out, and when it did come out, I was like, "Well, this this is what I'm getting, so I'm gonna love it." And it wasn't an, a horrible no. movie. It just wasn't the X Men that I that I grew up with reading. You know. It, it, the characters were there, but they weren't fully fleshed out the way they are in the comics, and they changed enough of the backstories of them and, and didn't make the original team, and it just was a, a hodgepodge of popular characters at the time, save for one of the most popular characters that wasn't in it. Um, Who? And a uh, Gambit. Oh, right, right, right. And Gambit was my favorite back in the yes. time. Back in the day. Now, in the um, cartoon, he was my favorite. I thought he was slick mm-hmm. in the cartoon. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was he was so so cool in the comic and the cartoon. He 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 showed up in X-Men Origins Wolverine, I think. Yes. And he just had a pretty small part. Taylor Kitsch, is that who played him? I don't I don't, I don't remember. remember who played him, but, but yeah, he had a very small role and uh <laughs> only because you mentioned the movie, my absolute favorite part of uh of that Wolverine Origins movie, even though I did, uh, I, I think I liked a, a lot of it, uh, but again, it's very patchwork as far as the whole X-Men universe is concerned. Um, mm-hmm. I love that Daniel Negreanu, a real honest-to-goodness mm-hmm. poker player, was at the table with Gambit. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That that more than yeah. anything floored me about that movie. So that, that tells you where my headspace <laughs> is at 
when it comes to the X-Men movies. I'm more, like, <laughs> amazed that legitimate <laughs> professional poker players are popping up, and I'm like, hey, I know him. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I could go for hours about the Wolverine trilogy, and I don't want to do that here, because it'll bring us way down. We can, we can do that later. So, yeah, we'll do that another time. But the back to the X Men. Um, well, it's interesting. It well, was... it's interesting that you say that they these weren't the characters that you thought you were going to see, because again, I I was a DC guy, so I didn't really have that much expectation. And you know, and our namesake, this podcast ruined my childhood. My childhood was not hinged on these movies uh, as much as maybe mm-hmm. yours was from having read all of this stuff. So. So it's interesting we're both approaching this from kind of two different perspectives. I think we both start at the fact that superhero movies were slim. This this was yep. one of the pioneers at the time. And and so they're just kind of sitting there looking at this property like, what can we do with it? Well, let's tell mm-hmm. a story that's sort of the X-Men, but sort of not. And let's hope there's more people out there like Eric than there are of Phil. And... <laughs> <laughs> and just go out and watch this movie and are like, wow, that was really neat. Instead of, wow, that wasn't what I remembered. Yeah, it, it's it. I'm so torn when it comes to the original X-Men movie because it wasn't bad. It was it was a pretty good film, especially when it comes to a superhero film. And the problem I had with it was, I think you, you hit it on the head with the grounded nature of it. The X-Men to me... Are, and, and I got in, back into the X-Men, and many of you comic nerds out there will remember when they rebooted X-Men number one. And, you know, Uncanny X-Men, the two different comics they had, kept going. But X-Men number one uh, was, they had variant covers that were beautiful, and it was basically the original team plus some new members who had come through uh, the ranks, and they split the team into blue and gold. And so I knew the Cyclops... Wolverine, Iceman, Jean Grey, and uh, Beast. And then the other team was like Storm and, uh, you know, it's just we're a couple different groups of of teams that were together. And the first comic, they're all in outer space fighting Magneto on his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants space station. And it was such an amazing story to like reboot X-Men as X-Men number one. And that's how I originally got into them and then just kept going with X-Men after that. Started, you know, going to comic book stores and getting old issues, following all the spinoffs that that had come after that, like the X-Force and Excalibur and New Mutants and just all of these different families of X characters. And then this movie comes up and it's got elements of who these characters are. And, you know, Cyclops is the goody-goody and Wolverine is kind of the guy that won't listen to authority and does his own thing. But it still was just kind of not right. And Rogue, Anna Paquin, I, you know, you can love her or hate her as an actress, um, but I absolutely hate her as Rogue. <laughs> she, and they, 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 they focus this movie on Wolverine and Rogue. Yeah. And she was not Rogue. Right. She just I wasn't. Agree. From the very little I knew, I knew that Anna Paquin wasn't 
not not that it was all her fault, but I just mean that mm-hmm. the direction they put her character and everything was not what I had gathered from what I kind of knew of the comics. That really floored me in watching this movie is is I, I liked very certain aspects of it. I really liked Magneto. I mean, gosh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen as Xavier and Magneto. It is perfect. Casting. Well, it, like the the perfect. It, casting. It, exactly. If you're going to highlight anything that was amazing about it is those two. Uh, and I think in every movie they have been in since they are literally Magneto and Professor X. There's there's no other actors I can even think of. I don't even know how you'd. You know, the, these movies are famous for reinventing themselves and rebooting themselves. I couldn't imagine who you could find that would ever do as good of a job as they did. You know, mm-hmm. that's and then yeah. and then, of course, if you're going to mention those two and and I think this comes up even more often than even talk about who would replace Magneto, who would replace Professor X. But. Uh, Hugh Jackman. Jackman for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, he played the role well, and he is now ingrained in our geekdom and society as Wolverine. But again, when the movie came out, Wolverine is this really short, hairy guy. And Hugh Jackman is almost as tall as James Marsden. And the, his hair didn't look like Wolverine from the comic and he didn't have the same kind of voice that you hear in your head or that the cartoon made you think of with Wolverine. So there were, there were just weird. I, I had a hard time with him as Wolverine then, but of course, as time has gone on and he's played the character so well and really, really he dove into who Logan is. Right. It's, he has transformed and transcended the role. But the first time seeing it, it wasn't it wasn't as jarring as Rogue, but it still was a little jarring to me. No, I agree. He he may not have been there from the get go, but as time went on, I I couldn't like I said, I couldn't imagine anybody else playing Wolverine. I suppose it's akin to the way I couldn't picture anybody else playing the Joker besides Jack Nicholson for a long time until Heath Ledger did it. But even then, mm-hmm. I didn't think Heath Ledger could be the Joker. So so even that was an amazing different, you know, and a different take on the character. So I, I would guess yeah. anybody you got to be Wolverine would have to have a new take on it as much as I'd like to see Hugh Jackman just continue. I don't disagree. But the problem I have with Wolverine as a character is that he is both complex and shallow at the same time. And Hugh Jackman eventually got to the place where he was the same Wolverine that's on the page. The Joker can be played many different ways because the Joker has been many different things over time. Wolverine has basically just been Wolverine since the beginning. All that they've really done differently with him is they've put him as a samurai in some comics, but even that they tried to do in the Wolverine, one of the Wolverine sequels that didn't pan out very well. You just said something I Um, never really considered, but you're right. Wolverine is 
as complex as he is shallow. There's a complexity to the fact that he was this guy with this power who then was sort of taken advantage of, but then the shallowness is also enveloped there, as in all he was was a guy with a power who was taken advantage of. So that that's yeah. that's an interesting way to put that because you're right. The Joker has had many iterations, e- even even in the comics and everything before before anybody was playing him on the big screen. But you're right, Wolverine mm-hmm. is just Wolverine. That's it. Yeah, it's so interesting to to be talking about this now and kind of diving into this this idea and this concept because all these memories from my childhood, like truly memories from my childhood are coming up for me of reading comics. And I I remember going to the comic book shop and people would be, and you know, you'd know the people at the comic book shop when you'd go, right? The guy behind the counter. And then like, there's always the people that would be there every so often that are like the same frequent visitors. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to these guys when I was like, you know, 13, 14 years old and talking about the new X-Men comics and, they loved Wolverine and I just, I didn't love him the same way they did it. And I thought there was something wrong with the way that I was reading or interpreting the characters because I saw characters like Gambit as having real depth and Cyclops as having like these amazing leadership qualities and depth to why he has taken this team over as his adopted family. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, there's so much, about Cyclops and Gambit that I loved and these all these other people would always just fawn over Wolverine and I didn't really get it I thought he was cool and I thought he had really cool powers but I just I didn't see him as this awesome deep like moving character that I could connect to and so I've always kind of been on the outside of the Wolverine fandom looking in that's how I've always kind of summed it up in my head is that he's a complex guy based on what has happened to him, but he is a one trick pony when it comes to how he acts and treats people. Well, you know, I mean, as you're saying it now, he's Batman really without the money. Well, well, with obviously without (laughs) the money, but, but, but you're right. It's, he's just a victim of what happened to him. And then it's how he treats the world beyond that. And that's all Batman is. His parents were murdered. And so that's how, this is how he treats the world now. And that's that's really it. I mean, Batman, for all practical purposes, is also a one-trick pony. I mean, until you run into a Christopher Nolan to add a few more layers to it. But well, I will wholeheartedly disagree about Batman. But that's a whole different conversation, especially now when with the whole Bat family that they've been building over the past. You know, well, I mean, the Robins and Batgirl, obviously, for a while, but the new Bat family over the past couple years, it has just really put a lot more depth into the Batman character in comics. But I think Batman is like an onion and we could peel him down for days. But Wolverine, I feel like has two layers and it is his trauma from before he was made into weapon X. And then his level of like not understanding who he is as Wolverine. But, but see, and so that's all I see, see. That's where I would, that's where I would agree. They're very similar. And not saying that there might be a little more to Batman, but ultimately it's his trauma. And then Mm -hmm. 
how he responds to it. And that's, that's sure. it. And when you mention like the rest of the bat family, like having read the whole death of the family, um, it was a multi, uh, a multi-title crossover from about yeah. six years ago, seven, six or seven years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Largely, Batman just was, he was kind of grumpy with his whole team. He didn't really want them involved. <laughs> and he, and he kind of kept yeah. them at arm's length. And then, of course, the Joker gets them all involved. And then they, yep. at the end of that series, all of them were Damien and and Batgirl and uh, and Dick Grayson and I can't Tim Drake. Tim Drake. Mm-hmm. They they were all, you know, very kind of pissed at him. And at the very end, yeah. he's like, "Hey guys, uh, let's get together and have a team meeting." And the last panels of that whole series are every single member of the Bat family team going, sorry, Bruce, got something else to do. Sorry, Bruce, got this to do. Sorry, Bruce, sorry, Bruce. And he realizes, Mm -hmm. oh, geez, I'm just kind of a one-dimensional jerk who doesn't really let anybody in. And honestly, that's that's Wolverine. Yeah. So... Yeah, you're you're, you're right in that sense. They have, and, and in the past six years they've grown the bat family even more and made Bruce have to rely on them. And he's opened up a lot, which has been really good to read, but Wolverine, you are exactly right. And one of the things I also didn't like about getting back to the X-Men movie is that they made rogue into Jubilee from the comics because Wolverine always had a soft spot for Jubilee. And in this movie, they made him have a soft spot for rogue, but rogue had rogue powers instead of Jubilee's fun, like fancy free powers (laughs) a friend of mine oh my gosh he will mercilessly mock jubilee to the end (laughs) with her goofy powers he's like (laughs) how is that a superhero oh my goodness (laughs) jubilee that is so funny to me that you mention her because Mm -hmm. (laughs) he mercilessly will mock her to the ends of the earth. <laughs> How is that a superhero? That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, and Jubilee shows up in one of the movies. I don't remember which one. I think it might be X-Men The Last Stand, which we'll get to in a little bit, but she's just kind of a side. Oh, very nobody much a character. side, yeah. But anyway, so moving on yes. from X-Men, it did really well. So it was, gosh, I think it was like in the $70 million range for how, how much it it was to make um, let me look this up right now budget was 75 million the box office return was almost 300 million worldwide so it was a smash success people loved it people went to see it multiple times um they knew they had a franchise on their hands and brian singer regardless of what you might think about him in his personal life and all the stuff that's come out since then he did a pretty good job making a movie that can play to everybody although still being faithful in a sense to some of its comic origin. And, and if it's on, I, I, that first X-Men is a great movie and I'll watch it. There's, there's a couple parts that are a little slow and then I might like tune out. Like if I happen to catch that part of it, I'll be like, uh, that's this part. And then I'll just flip away. But otherwise, I mean, we're, I mean, we've been focused on 
Magneto and and uh, Wolverine and Professor X, but holy smokes, Rebecca Romaine as Mystique? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Is there a better yeah. casting choice in 2000? No, no, you're right. I mean, is there? She was great. She's incredible. I mean, rounding out that villain team, Ray Park as Toad, that was sweet. The one character that I just didn't like, and mainly because I just didn't buy that makeup, Sabretooth. Tyler Means, Sabretooth. Stupid. He looked (laughs) looked terrible. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, that looked like unfinished character makeup to me. I'd never Mm -hmm. like that, and I still don't. But. Yeah. But otherwise, it's goofy. It is goofy. But but otherwise, I mean, I liked his power, and I liked I liked how he, you know, sort of played into uh, Magneto's little team there. So so mm-hmm. it worked for me. But oh my gosh, you, you know, Rebecca Romaine as Mystique, and then and then of course, you know, rounding out the rest of the X Men, you did have uh, Halle Berry as Storm, and. Uh, which her accent, man, people just rip her apart for the accent she had in that. Yeah, movie. and that again kind of goes over me because I didn't know if she really was supposed to have that, you know, from the comics or something. And it just that's that that's one point, at least to me, that just sort of went over my head. Like I didn't really care if I even noticed back then. Yeah, I her her line of. Gosh, what is it? Let me let me think. He's, she says something about, you know, what happens to a toad in a storm or something. Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. That is one of the cheesiest lines I've ever well, heard in a in a comic book movie. And comic book movies have a lot of cheesy that, lines. That is pretty bad. I, I'll I'll give you that. And I and that isn't her fault as much as it's the script. No. But you know, unless I found out one day that that was her improvise, <laughs> I'm like, okay, don't let her improvise anymore. Here's what I will say about that first X Men, and this is what I sort of have kind of come to find now that we've got like so many more superhero movies that first one now feels to me like the way the first Avengers feels to me like it's good, but it could have been better. Like I feel Mm -hmm. like it's a lot of setup and joining and getting everybody together and not enough real meat to it. Like I've never really, really enjoyed the first Avengers movie. Um, except I did love the the battle in New York. That was sweet. You know, a lot of sweet shots in that. Mm. But but otherwise, the rest of the yeah. Avengers movie is like, eh, it's just, you know, it's it's the Muppet movie. It's telling how all everybody got together. And that's how I feel about this X-Men movie. <laughs> well, it, it, that's just how I feel. Because then... The Muppet, that's funny. Because the then movie. the second X-Men movie is one of my favorite movies. And I'll put that up there against pretty much any modern superhero movie as being one of the best superhero movies ever made agree or disagree. Wow. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I can put it up there as one of the best superhero movies ever made. I think that it is 
I don't even know if I would say it's better than the first X-Men. I think it's right on par with it. If I'd have to give them both letter grades, I'd probably give them both B pluses. I, I think I liked it just as much. See, but why? What makes you think that it's it's better or one of the best superhero movies ever made? Well, because we're past the why are we a team? We're past that, right? We're just mm-hmm. a team. Now let's go have an adventure. And the fact that it starts off with immediately uh, a brand new mutant, um, Nightcrawler, flipping around the White House, yeah. trying to kill the president, and then... That was a really cool scene. Oh, friggin' incredible scene. And then it's like, well, here's what's happening now. Now people don't like mutants. Now that we know about them, now that they're really in the mainstream, everybody's against them. So now we've got two different factions. You know, we've got Professor X and his school, and that that was played endlessly mm-hmm. in the in the trailers. It's just a school, is it? Or however the lines yeah. were, right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> huh? Really? You know? And then cut right to the big battle of you know charging into the school and everything. But then you've got the other camp with Magneto and the mutants who are kind of defensive and are like, Hey, we're here. We're, we're here to stay. And we're going to do what we have to do to protect ourselves. These two different teams with two different objectives, two different opinions about the way the world should be and the way they should be in the world, but they have to come together and work together. And I guess it's just maybe a personal thing for me. I always like the stories when the arch enemies who are ultimately always, you know, as Batman has put it before, two sides of the same coin, have to come together and work together. And that's what made this neat for me is I felt like you got a little bit more character development between Magneto and his, like, oh boy, here we go, Charles. Okay, Charles. Mm-hmm. You know, and then <laughs> and then you had Mystique, like, totally screwing with Wolverine's head by going into the tent as Jean Grey and then flipping mm-hmm. around personality to personality. And he's like, get out of here, you know? And that was just to her own amusement. And so you, you kind of get that, that yeah. to me shows a little bit more of her character and, and knowing like how to read Wolverine and what Wolverine really wants. You know what I mean? Like how, it, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting more development out of the characters from that. And then of course, at the end of the movie, okay, you know, I, I can't remember how Magneto says it, but somewhere at the end, he says something like, you know, truce is over Charles or whatever he says. And it's like, oh, yeah. that was badass, you know? Because because you know mm-hmm. it's got to end, you know the ba- good guys yeah. and bad guys don't stay friends. But but that to me kind of humanizes them all, right? You know, no, they're, you're they're right, not yeah. just villains and good guys with the obscure, uh, you know, perspectives of truth and evil on their side. You know, they they literally became real people to me. And then you had Wolverine after the big assault on the school. He had to take the the kids, and he ends up with uh, Iceman and is it Pyro? Yep, Pyro. Yep, 
and and they're all together and he's got and he's got uh, rogue with him and they go to iceman's house and iceman's brother who's basically just jealous more than anything that his brother has powers he wasn't calling he didn't call the cops because he felt threatened he, he called the cops because he was jealous his brother had a cool power yeah. and he was he was jealous of it and ultimately that's what I think is at the heart of most of the disrespect that the X-Men get. It's us normal people who are like, why do you get to be special? Lock them up. Like, I, I really feel like that's that's kind of a underlying theme there. It's like the, the jealousy of people who are free to be different and the normal people who feel locked into a normal life. And it's like, nope, you can't fuck the mainstream. I don't even think... I mean, and I'm sure like the fear of the unknown is, is also part of why you want to, you know, set all these rules for the X-Men. But I, I also think there's a jealousy of why do you get to be special? Why do you get to go do this and I can't? Why do you get to throw ice and I can't? Why do you get to have claws and I can't? And, and I, I think that's, I think there's a level of, of that in these movies. But that's why I like the second one, because I, I feel yeah. like they explore all of that. The whole X-Men, when, when Stan Lee created the X-Men, he was looking at it through the view of the racial tension in the United States. And so there's there's an aspect of jealousy that you can see from one perspective, but there's also the aspect the aspect of they're different and we don't like them because they're different which is what Stan Lee was really going for when he when he created the comic. He wanted to bring people together by showing them how someone with with something different about them can drive people apart. And uh, I think they also touch on that quite a bit in this too. The parents of Bobby don't like that he has powers. They don't want their son to be different, but the brother is jealous. So it's it's a very interesting dynamic between all of that. And that's kind of Stryker's motivation too, right? Stryker is a racist when it comes to mutants. He wants to destroy them all or turn them all back to humans getting rid of their X gene. Stryker, of course, had the motivation too where his son is a mutant and he's trying to solve for saving his son, in his mind, saving his son. Oh, yeah. See that whole part there with the the messing with Xavier's mind and getting him to go and let's go let's go yeah. activate uh or activate cerebro yeah let's do it um i don't know it was just good i i liked i liked this movie also because i loved the version of nightcrawler in this yeah. where he he's he's got all those tattoos and and they're actually like technically they're scars mm -hmm. Because he scarred himself every time he felt that he had a sin. And they're like, oh, well, you've got a lot of tattoos. And he's like, I've had a lot of yeah. sins. Which, again, it to me speaks to, the, you know, whether you look at sin in a religious aspect as or if you just look at it as a person who realizes he's flawed and just can't quite come to terms with who he is. And, and again, that's, I think that's, that's a very human. And like you said, Stan Lee approached this from a humanistic point of view of what was really happening in the world or the country rather. Yeah. 
and and I think I think you really see that in this version of Nightcrawler more than any other version or almost any other mutant where there's there's a level of who am I and why am I not like other yep. people mm-hmm. and even though I'm not like other people that doesn't make me bad but I'm also still bad because at the heart of it mutant or human everybody has the tendency to be good or bad and you have to just come to terms with that through your life anyway i just i really felt like that just came out in in the nightcrawler character Mm -hmm. i loved every scene he was in i agree um alan cumming did an amazing job uh and and his accent was just fine it was perfect he did a good job getting that accent right where storm oof And then by the third movie, she drops it, right? Or did she drop it in this one? I don't remember. (laughs) I think she dropped it in this one. I'm almost, almost positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I like, you kind of touched on it before with the pyro going to, um, you know, with them as in the school. Uh, I like how pyro, as we all know, he's one of the founding members of the original members of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And, of course, we had a, a quote-unquote Brotherhood of Evil Mutants that he wasn't part of in the first movie. I like how he went with Mystique and Magneto at the end of this movie. Yeah. That was really... It was good to see a character that we know as a good guy, supposedly, in in the beginning of the film, who you can see he's a little bit... He has a bit of an edge to him. But you can also see how he was swayed so easily by Magneto. Well, and again, that goes to, that goes even to Nightcrawler. He understands there's bad parts of him, but he fights it. He fights, he fights the evil intentions to be a better person. And I think it's just crummy that he didn't have that much of a role, if any, to the, in, in the third X. Yep. Like he was such a major part of X-Men too. Oh Yeah. I also think, like like you said, they Gambit never exists in any of these movies, which I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, Col- Colossus, he he's got his little cameo in the second one. Why wasn't he a bigger part yeah. of this? Why didn't you develop more of these characters? And I get it; you can't, you know, have ten people as a lead, <laughs> you know, in one movie. That's why, you know, Marvel has it down now on how you actually do bring in that many quote unquote stars yeah. and make their characters relevant. Right. right. But, but at that point, I, I understand why, why you've got to kind of pick and choose who you do. But, but mm-hmm. I think the fact that we both think Gambit is an incredible character, why he wasn't even, even a, you know, they focused on Angel in the third <laughs> yeah. one. Who should have been a founding member of the X-Men, yet they make him a, like, 18-year-old kid that has a bad attitude. Well, I don't even like that they saved Beast for the third one. Beast should have been more prominent. Yeah. Oh, completely agree. Because because now Beast is, like, all over these new ones. Yeah, I do like, though, how they write it out that Beast was with the X-Men. And he's just moved on to a different phase in his life. I appreciate that. That they did at least explain away that he was there once. But. Well, no, but he shows up in the third right. movie. And, and that's what I mean is he shows up in the third movie, but he's established as having 
been with Charles and been with the X-Men years before. But he left to go oh. off and be a scientist and do his own thing. Right, and work more with the government yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Whatever yeah. he was doing. But so so I like that they, they at least gave him some backstory so that fans that were upset that they hadn't seen Beast knew that he was, oh, oh, okay, they explained it. He was there. We just didn't see that part. Yeah, that didn't sit well enough. Yeah, with me. well, it didn't sit well with me, but they they tried. <laughs> Explaining that he was on vacation yeah. in the first two movies <laughs> that wasn't enough yeah. for me. So I I do I'd be remiss if I didn't mention at the end of two before we get full fledged into the last stand is that they you know Gene is holding off the water that is coming from the dam and she mm-hmm. makes sure that the jet gets off the ground with her powers and the phoenix power starts to kind of envelop her but then the water rushes mm-hmm. over her and they you know they fly away while cyclops is scream crying in logan's arms while logan is holding back tears because they both loved her mm-hmm. and at the very end you see a phoenix like shape under the water under the alcohol, water like. yeah and if anything in this movie made me excited it was that moment because the Phoenix saga is one of the best comic sagas, maybe of all time, but at least between the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really, really excited to see what they were going to do in the third movie with the Phoenix. And then three years later, we got the third movie and it was a movie. <laughs> I think that's the nicest thing I can I, say about it. It was a movie. You know, I I didn't hate it. I still think X-Men United is probably my favorite of the trilogy, and I, I still think it stands up there with even the best superhero movies. But uh, what's it called? The, the Last, Last Stand? Stand. X3, The Last Stand. Yeah. The Last Stand, it had some really good scenes. Like, let's let's start with the highlights and then we can go yeah, into the yeah. lowlights. Okay. But the whole prisoner breakout scene was friggin' incredible. Right? Mm-hmm. Where they where Magneto is flipping the cars over and then he finally storms his way in there because he's trying to save Mystique. Right. And then he starts opening the cells and he finds Juggernaut. Yeah. And and just the cool way he's like, What's your power? And, you know, and then he's like, ooh, that could be mm-hmm. handy. And then and then he finally gets Mystique out. And because she's been there for him the whole time. And, of course, we end up getting all that backstory later. But at the time, all you know is, like, that's that's his number mm-hmm. one. And it's, like, good to have you back. And then, boom, oh, the dart yep. comes out. And then you see him just flat out turn and be like, you used to be so pretty. And then just walks out. It's like, Oh yeah. yeah. Heartbreak. Man. You can see on her, so eye, now, in her eyes too the, the heartbreak. Right. So now it's like, it's almost like mutant on mutant crime now. Right. Like you weren't all you were to me was a mutant. And you now one of I can't mm-hmm. love right i can't love you because now you are not one Mm -hmm. of us and that's almost 
the whole thing he's been fighting against this whole time is the we don't like you because you're not one of us normal people. And now he does the same thing. Oh, it's so friggin' heartbreaking. Yeah. But just, oh my gosh, that whole prison scene. I just, the prison breakout scene. I just, I love that. If I'm flipping channels and that's on, I have to watch the whole thing. Wow. That's just so, so good. That scene you mean? Or this whole movie? That scene, yes. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, not scene. this whole movie. If that scene is on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there, there's definitely slow parts. Yeah, I I can't watch the whole movie, but 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 if the battle, if the prison break scene is on and that battle at the end is on, I will watch the battle at the end. Yeah, I. Uh, Another thing I have a big, big problem with is James Marsden is in the movie for about three minutes. He goes to Alkali Lake because he's still torn up over Gene. Having died, she comes out of the water or appears or something and they kiss whatever but she blows him away i hate i absolutely hated it like if why even have james marston in the movie for that why well they had to tie him up they had to tie up his character although i would have preferred they just recast him and give the guy whoever plays him like the full headgear that Cyclops has so he covers his hair and his face and all you have is his nose and his chin so that you can't really like maybe you don't tell that it's not James Marsden but it, 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 they make him they kill him off and so he is just now an afterthought of the movie because they never really give it any other thought aside from when Professor X feels him blink out of existence and he sends Wolverine and Storm to go check it out and they find Jean. Yeah, but they the, find. Well, they, that's and like they the find end of Gene and Cyclops. They find the, they find the floating Cyclops uh, eyepiece. The glasses, yeah, the visor. And but, that, oh, that I hated that. I hated yeah, that. Yeah. Why bother? Mm-hmm. That was terrible. Yep. The Phoenix Force. The way that they explained the Phoenix Force in this movie was absolutely awful the phoenix force is an extraterrestrial force that has been in the galaxy for eons and here they say that it's like an alternate personality in her that is extremely like i think he uses godlike telepathic or destructive potential or something like that and so they make it so that the phoenix is always inside gene and she's just like got split personality disorder I hated yeah. that as well. Now, to that end, I am not familiar with it as much as you are, as per the comics. But as a movie viewer, I didn't, I didn't buy into it. Mm-hmm. Like strictly having the only information provided to me by the movie, it felt very uneven. Like everything from Scott dying to that ADD personality was very, mm-hmm. very uneven. Yep. It just wasn't. It just didn't. It just didn't make sense. They didn't connect the dots. It's like they they tried to skip. They tried to skip too far with her arc. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. Like whole wholeheartedly, it was 
it was a mess. It was very messy. It was very confusing. And it wasn't true to the Phoenix Force, which if you're going to make a Phoenix movie, you got to figure out how to do it right. And now that Fox tried twice and failed miserably twice. So, but we'll talk about the second one some other time. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that I didn't love about X-Men The Last Stand is that they, they made Gene into a villain just to give a dynamic that I guess they needed or they thought they needed to force where in the first movie it was the Brotherhood versus the X-Men. The second movie, the Magneto and Mystique joined with the X-Men. And now that they've split apart again in the third movie, they then have to take one of the X-Men and put them on the side of the Brotherhood. <laughs> and it's like right. they, they didn't know exactly how they wanted them to have conflict. So that's the best they could come up with. And you um, say that you watch the, you like watching the final like action sequence in the movie, but I just think it is so messy and disjointed. And all they're doing is like, for some reason, the golden gate bridge, it has a major part of this movie and it doesn't make any sense. But the, aside from that, they just give us hundreds of mutants so that they can immediately obliterate them with Jean's powers. And it's supposed to be something that is like, really that's supposed to weigh on the audience that like, wow, look at how powerful she is. They have to stop her. Somehow they have to stop her. But to me, it really is just them throwing way too many characters in a film just so they can kill them off. Yeah. And I guess, I guess when I say I like watching the end action scene is I do like, even though I don't buy it, the bridge getting ripped up and I, I guess just Ian McKellum as, as, as Magneto, just he, he's such a cool character and you really feel for him. Like you, cause you get what he wants to do. He's just trying to protect his people. Right. He's, he's not really evil. He's, he's just a product of what he saw happen to his parents and himself when he was a child in a concentration camp. Mm -hmm. You were different because you were Jewish at the time. Yeah. Now he's different because he has a power and that power allows him the advantage against the similar people who would put him in camps when he was a child. Right. So now he's got the upper hand. So it's like you you feel for him on that side of it. So when he comes to attack, it's like you know he's not going to win because that's just not how these movies go. But right. but in a sense, having again seen him be a good person in the second movie when he's partnered with Charles, and you know he and Charles share the same background, it's just one of them went one way with it and one of them went another way. I, I guess I just, I like seeing that in Magneto more than, yes, just the decimated extra mutants who just get blown away. Sure. Blah. I, I guess I feel more Magneto story than anything else. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, I, I, I get it. And I probably would like the movie more if they focused a little bit more on that. Uh, and, and, you know, it is a major focus of the film 
everything that you're saying is wholly accurate, but it's just surrounded by such garbage that I can't, I can't just hone in on it and appreciate it. Especially, yeah, I mean, and, they and have maybe... Jean kill the professor, right? She right. phases him out of existence or blows whatever she does. Mm-hmm. And then they force Logan to realize that he's the only one that can fight against her because his healing factor, even though she she blows people away and turns them to dust, his healing factor will keep him from dusting. So he goes up to her yeah, and somehow she gets a moment to control herself and asks her to kill or ask him to kill her. And he does. And what a freaking cop out in a movie like this. I know. A superhero movie where you have a main character from your first two movies. It's it's like they're they're trying to play on us that she's sacrificing herself to save everybody else. But no, they're t- taking the easy way out where you kill the evil force rather than redeem them. This movie would have been a hundred times better in my mind if Jean had found a way to redeem herself rather than tell Logan he has to kill her. I know. Uh, But maybe if somebody had killed Cyclops and Professor X, maybe you don't want to redeem them. I don't know. I, I guess I can't really get in the minds of the writers and, um, who directed this one, Brett Ratner. Of course, it's also not not a good movie. Brett Ratner directed it, but still, it, I don't know. Kinberg, right? Didn't Kinberg, Simon Kinberg write this? I think Kinberg wrote all Uh, the X-Men movies. You're going really deep on me now. Yeah. Uh, Kinberg did write it. Yeah. Like I said, I guess I just really like Ian McKellum. I like Patrick Stewart. Um, I think those guys did a really good job of, of of being the leaders of their sides. And and I could see their character. I could really feel like what their real story was. Um, it's a superhero movie, so you're going to get the fluffy, you know, fight scenes and the decimating of the one army and the other army you're gonna get all that but i i guess i just felt so here's one thing though that you just you sort of reminded me of it i can't believe i didn't say this earlier the one thing about the third movie that i thought was total trash was fighting the sentinels in an imaginary (laughs) friggin dome or whatever i was like what a lame way to incorporate the sentinels yeah Yeah, it's that 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 did not sit well with agreed the danger room they're in the danger room fighting and yeah i agree the sentinels are such a good foil to the x-men and they just use them in the danger room as a training exercise but that was a cool scene the whole training exercise it was pretty cool seeing them all work together well it was cool until you realize it's just basically a dream yeah (laughs) Uh, didn't happen there weren't really sentinels they weren't really in real danger right even though they're in the danger room but yeah that annoyed me yeah i like the scene where magneto goes into the church and they're talking about uh tattoos or something and then he like pulls down his robe and he's like i have a mark Mm -hmm. 
and I will never let somebody do that to me again. And it's like, <laughs> ooh, like, dude, it's again, it's the caliber of actor. You know, a weaker actor trying to pull those lines off just would not have done it. But my gosh, when he talks, you just you feel the charisma. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I and again and again, I think that's that's why these movies in my head succeed is because they got the perfect people. They were. I wouldn't say they're ahead of their time. As far as storytelling but they were definitely ahead of their time as far as casting goes to get the perfect people to be the perfect superheroes and supervillains yeah. you yeah. know what i mean because like because because even batman nobody thought michael keaton should be batman and he just did an amazing job and i thought he was yeah. great but most people were like mr mom is going to be batman <laughs> But when you're saying, hey, Magneto's going to be Ian McKellum. Ooh, Sir Ian McKellum? Oh, yeah. The, the one and the only. The one and only. The you Sir. Know? And, and, yeah, and Patrick Stewart and and then Hugh Jackman, who at the time wasn't, you know, that well-known. and mm -hmm. But he just pulled it off because he embodied everything you thought about Wolverine. Yeah. And he looked the part. And he, you know, so... I think that's why these movies really still resonate with me and, and, and make me like appreciate them. Um, and while I'm talking about casting, Brian Cox as striker yeah. was brilliant. Yeah. I love Brian Cox. My gosh, every role he's in, he's just, he's just so good. And I really felt that slimy military <laughs> ugh, I'm just in this for mm -hmm. me and and then when he unleashes uh what is it weapon 10 mm, or 11. what's what's the 11 mm -hmm. right right yeah 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 weapon X is yeah. 10 yeah so he's yeah 11 and he he delivers that line and it was in the trailer uh I used to think you were an original Wolverine <laughs> Oh, I guess I was wrong. And then she goes in there like slashing away. It's like, oh, that is friggin' brilliant. Yeah. And then to see the other portrayals of Stryker in the more modern movies now, the more current ones, it's like he's okay and I like him, but nothing beats that Brian yeah, Cox yeah. version of Stryker. Agreed. Oh, man. Um, anything else about these movies? I know we just went back to X2, but anything else about The Last Stand? Um, except that I will agree, it, it wasn't great. There's definitely some, like, you know, I already said the Sentinel part was lame and, you know, yes, just Jean Grey decimating armies, but then, you know, it, like you said, in a total cop-out way, being like, kill me. It's like, Really? <laughs> You have enough mental capacity to say that, but you can't just shut yourself down. It's like, come yeah. on. And, and not even but... that, that she just can't control it. But the way you redeem a character is to basically have her commit suicide. That's I don't I don't find that. Redeeming at all. No, no, it's just so you don't hate Wolverine right. for killing right. a exactly. hero. Exactly. 
That's a, that is, you just, I didn't even think about it that way, but you're right. You want to make it so that Wolverine stays the hero and doesn't do it just out of cold blood because she's dangerous. Yeah. He is, he's forced to do it by her. So right. yeah, yeah, there, there it is. Well, you could, you could, you could, you could argue he's forced to do it, or you could say it the other way. He's given permission. Right. To permission. Do it. Mm-hmm. So either way, it's a cop yep. out. But I got a question now, because this just occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Why, for as important as Rogue was in the first one, why couldn't Rogue have just touched Jean Grey Anyone? in X3? <laughs> well, well, yeah. right. But why couldn't she have done that? Why did it have to be Wolverine? Where was Rogue in all of well, that? Well, wasn't she having that existential crisis about yeah. taking the shot? Yep, that's exactly her whole storyline was... I want to I want to make out with Bobby. So I want to take the shot so I can touch my boyfriend. That's what it was. That's her whole right, story. Right, she right. they took Rogue and like she never had depth of character in these movies, but they really pulled her back in X3. And yeah. you know Anna Paquin, they were really hoping with with the first X-Men movie that people would really love Logan and Rogue. And unfortunately, I mean, it, it all goes to the writing and direction of these movies, but unfortunately, Rogue was not well-loved and well-received, but Hugh Jackman's Logan was the best-received. So in X2, she had a much smaller role, and then in X3, she had an even smaller role. Right. And that was all on purpose, because they just wanted to give Logan as much screen time as possible. So she got the Finn treatment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, but you're you're right. So the the reason at the end of X three why she couldn't do anything was because any mutant that was near the blast radius of the Phoenix Force was being turned to dust, and Logan was the only one that could get to her because his healing ability kept him from turning to dust. Okay, there it is. Okay, so uh, it's just it's. I don't, I'm going to keep going on. You know, I, I really like, lately, I've really liked looking at budgets and how much movies make and whatnot. And X3 had a $210 million budget. That's, I mean, we already talked. The first X-Men had a $75 million budget. The second one had somewhere between 100 to 125. Uh, there's no data on which, what the actual number was. They've never actually released what the actual figure was. But X3 had a $210 million budget. And this is the movie we got on that budget? Yeah, but I would wager that at least half that budget went to cast salary because the first X-Men, again, in a time period when we didn't have much other superhero content, and that movie went through the roof, and then X2 again went through the roof i guarantee salary is what ate up half that 210 had to have maybe maybe i don't i don't know it just seems like a whole lot of money for a movie that you don't think and 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 again actors are actors i'm not i'm not saying anything disparaging when i say this you don't think patrick stewart wasn't like okay guys you you got me at this price for the first one that second one, 
when bananas I need a little more cheddar if you want me coming back. You, you don't mm. think he would have done that? You know what I mean? Unless Maybe. they were already locked down into picture deals and they couldn't renegotiate. But if they had any wiggle room, oh my gosh, the way the X-Men movies were popping off then, again, as like literally the only content out there, they they had, uh, superhero-wise, they, they had to have up the up the stakes on what they get for their salary. And I, and again, that's not disparaging to, I'm not saying that's bad that they did it. I'm just, I would, I would, I would bet that, that 210, at least half of it went to salary hmm. because like, because it, it, aren't those the numbers you gave that almost doubled, right? The budget of yeah, from X2 to X3, X2. it was double. Yeah. I bet you that was all salary. So I guess uh, on that note, Eric, did uh, did the X Men trilogy, the original X Men trilogy, ruin your childhood? No, they they really didn't. I I enjoyed the first X Men. I really enjoyed the second one. Like, there's this parts of that movie that I I just still will, and I'll say it for the last time. I will put it up there with the best of the best right now. And then uh, and then the third one was just uh, it was sort of a neat way to wrap it up, but there were a lot of holes and just for every neat part, there were at least two not neat parts that just kind of counteracted it. So that movie's kind of a wash in my opinion. It wasn't a very fulfilling ending, but it wasn't the worst Hmm. ending. I would almost chalk that up to the way your average cinema goer will say, well, it's a superhero movie. What'd you expect? That's what I will say about mm. that last yeah. <laughs> X Men installment. Interesting, yeah. It was, it was a superhero movie. What'd you expect? Mm-hmm. It's an interesting way to put so it. So, ruin my childhood? Yeah, ruin my childhood. No, it actually more than anything, it 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 helped me introduce me to some of these characters that I just really hadn't had that much experience with, and uh, and I thought it was handled well, and um, yeah, hmm. yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give this all a. Uh, a thumbs up. All right. Well, for me, it it definitely didn't ruin my childhood. Um, but I do have such an affinity for these characters, and I I really did think of the X Men as like the top tier of comic books. Um, so the movies didn't they didn't ruin it, but man, X three really took the whole series backwards. And I think that's kind of apparent because X3 came out, it did fine, but it didn't do numbers like the first two. And the budget for it was ridiculous. Um, They stepped away from making X-Men movies and focused just on their most bankable character in film, which was Wolverine, and then made a whole trilogy around him. Uh, And it it took a while for them to get X-Men movies back off the ground. It took, I don't know, seven or eight years. Right. Before first class. So, um, yeah, it didn't ruin the childhood, but X-Men 1 and 2 are fine movies. I, I appreciate them. I like them, especially during the time when we got them, when there was no other content. I probably, in 2000, would have rated X-Men as like an A, and X2 as an A-, and then X3 in 2006. I, I know right, right away that when I left the theater, that was basically a D. <laughs> but... Now looking back on them, they're they're all B pluses, uh, except for X three, which is still a D. Um, yeah, so I'm, 
long story short, I'll say it again, didn't ruin my childhood, but definitely didn't like majorly enhance my childhood either. Yeah. Eric, where can people out there in listener land find you? Uh, people can find me at Eric underscore Walensky on the Instagram. Uh, you can also check out uh, my other Instagram account, Mr. Mist Mask, M-I-S-T-E-R-M-I-S-S-E-D-M-A-S-K. Uh, basically, uh, during this pandemic, a lot of people have been wearing masks and a lot of people have been discarding them and they're blowing all over the place. So uh, I started taking pictures of them and writing poems about it. And they are some great poems. Um, <laughs> they are. They're fun. They're funny. Um, you all can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Fildimo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O. And also, please follow the podcast at Podcast Ruined on Twitter and Instagram. We hope this look back at the original X-Men trilogy did not ruin your childhood. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. You would die for them. No, not for them. For you. For you. I love you. I'm imitating Wolverine's antimantium attack. <laughs> <laughs> schnickty schnickty schnoids. <laughs>